The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 33. What attitude do you need to be a sports coach? Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who will inspire and encourage you to be the best you can be in your profession, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in coaching in any sport at any level. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Anne Parmenter. Anne is the head field hockey coach at Trinity College in America. With over 25 years of experience in coaching hockey, Anne has taken Trinity to the NESCAC Championship Tournament for the 10th year in a row in 2015. Also in 2014, Anne was recognised for her services in hockey where she was awarded the Coach of the Year Award by the National Field Hockey Coaches Association. I can happily say that I'm very privileged to have Anne as a special guest on the show. That's why in today's episode, Anne will share her coaching career journey and explain what attitude you need to be a sports coach. Anne, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Please can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? I think it all started probably in the back garden, like most uh, English kids. Um, I actually grew up sort of watching every single sport that was out there. I was a little tomboy. Um, but I can remember when the Olympics used to come around, we would have the 100 meters was running down the road and then the marathon was 50 times around the little roundabout at the end of the cul-de-sac. Um, and as kids, we used to play we divided all the kids into teams and you could win a gold, a silver, a bronze and the kid that was last got the dustbin lid. And so we would keep we would keep a kind of a chalk written out on the road and uh so when it was the Olympics we were doing that. When it was Wimbledon we were trying to play tennis with an old beat up tennis racket and at the time I was probably about 9 years old and then of course with football, real football um, you know, we'd play World Cup and we'd all be a country. And so whatever sport was on television, we were playing it always in the street or out, you know, on the on the playing field, just organized by ourselves. And that is lovely to hear about your upbringing with regards to sport. When was the moment when you decided that you wanted to be a sports coach? Um, I can distinctly remember um, I grew up in Ferndown in Dorset. I was born in Reading, but we moved and uh I went, you know, we went to a middle school when I was 11, and that's the first time I actually had sort of a real PE teacher. And uh, I wasn't very good at school. You know, my school report card used to say uh, if Anne would stop looking out the window, she might get better marks at school because I was always sort of daydream a, l- a little bit. Um, and I had this a PE teacher, and I, I was like, wow, there's actually a job of 
teaching sport. And I just was fascinated. And I, at 11 years old, I decided I was going to go to PE college. And that, that I can remember that moment pretty clearly. Would you mind explaining that experience with regards to where you are now? So after PE college, would you mind just running through your current career? You know, I managed, I managed to get to college, uh, much to the sort of chagrin of some teachers at school because they thought I'd never be smart enough to go to college. Um, so I, I went to Chelsea College of Physical Education, which is down in Eastbourne. And, uh, you know, like everybody did four years down there. And then I was teaching PE at a school in Dover in Kent. Um, and the first summer that I was teaching, I had a friend who was going to, was coming over to the United States to work at one of these sports camps, um, coaching field hockey, as we call it here, hockey. And at that point, this was, you know, 1982, 83, I really had no interest in coming to America. It was just like America. And um, so at the very last minute, this friend of mine couldn't make it. And she says, hey, you know, do you have any plans? I need somebody to fill in for me. And I thought, ah, two weeks in America, they were paying all our expenses. I thought, yeah, I'll give it a, I'll give it a go. So I ended up coming here sight unseen, not really knowing what the heck I was into. And, you know, like most people at the time, my image of America was sort of a very Hollywood, um, Starsky and Hutch, Cagney and Lacey type, anything that was on television, America. Um, and the camp was actually up in Vermont in the green mountains, beautiful lakes, countryside. Um, and for two weeks, it was like being back at PE college. I was with people that were all like-minded. They were really like loved sport. And we sort of relived our college years. We coached during the day. We played hard at night and, uh, you know, enjoyed lots of social. And somebody said, well, in America, you can get a graduate assistant position, uh, coaching hockey and you'll get your master's degree, but you can actually sort of coach and, and it's more of a professional uh, career, just coaching hockey. And so that was in the back of my mind. So that's sort of how this all started. Um, I returned to the U UK obviously after that experience and that was the year 1982, 83 is when the teachers were called out on strike. And so I was a member of the National Union of Teachers because you had to be in the union and all goodwill services were withdrawn from schools. You know, and we used to live for the kids who would come after school because those were the kids who wanted to play. Um, and when we were told we couldn't do it, I got a little bit sort of disenchanted really with what was going on in education in the UK. And so I had another couple of other English friends who were like, I think I'm going to go to the US and do this graduate assistant thing. So that's sort of how it started. That's how I ended up coming here. And initially it was for a year, and that was in 1984. Wow, that sounds really fascinating. Just for the listeners listening in, is there a difference with regards to the coaching out in like, the, I would say the social aspect of coaching in the UK to America? Is there a difference out of interest? Yeah, I think, you know, the big thing sort of, you know, now reflecting and sort of in, in, in retrospect for me, I played, you know, I played at college and I played on a very, very strong collegiate team. So it was the first year that the national clubs was introduced. So Chelsea won the national clubs. We played in Europe. Um, I played for Sussex during the time I was at college. And then I played for Kent when I was um, 
down in Dover and then I played for Ashford Club, which is, you know, at the time was a really strong club and still is. Um, and our club had its own building and a clubhouse and, you know, a, a license. And so, you know, we could have the bar was open and you entertained other teams. And in my mind, that's what the, the whole club scene in the UK was like. Um, and if you were into sport, you taught in a high school here, collegiate sports is where the focus is culturally. And so, you know, I spend my time, you know, full time recruiting people to come here to play hockey. And yet there is no place for me or once my players finish and graduate when they're 22, there, there is very little club play for them. There are no physical buildings. So here when someone says, oh, I play on a club, that's just a group of people that will travel to a field and play a game, um, but they don't have an actual clubhouse and a place. So the sports culture here is very driven by a collegiate structure as opposed to, you know, there are places for people to play, but field hockey is not a big um, sport here. And so there is, it's tough. When you graduate, you're pretty much done, which is hard. Yeah, I bet. Just relating to field hockey, in your opinion, how have you seen that sport grow when you look at the Olympics, for example? Yeah. I mean, for me, I was actually in the UK this past summer when um, when Great Britain won, which was just absolutely amazing. And I left the UK just as the National League was coming into play. Um, and, you know, I've had friends since who played in the National League in the UK, and it sort of took those national lead clubs to a whole nother level of commitment that those players were training multiple days a week traveling, you know, teams from the South were now traveling to Scotland to play. And, you know, it was a huge commitment time. And then also money, just knowing how, um, traveling in the UK is the way it is very expensive. Um, and so, you know, from, from that perspective, um, you know, I think people there. There is a lot more people who play hockey in England now. In the U.S., the U.S. head coach uh, was um, Craig Parnham, an, an English guy. So he has taken the U.S. team to a whole nother level. And I think I've seen U.S. hockey sort of really struggling on the on the international stage. They really now have a presence and have done extremely well. But it's tough because in this country, you know. Um, boys and men really don't play unless they're expats of other countries. And so there's not a broad base um, for men and women to play. So it's that other sport that, you know, there's soccer, football, and then field hockey for men is kind of like, what? No, boys don't play that. So there's a, and a whole nother cultural acceptance of hockey. Just touching back relating to your career, and it sort of relates to today's main topic. What attitude do you need to be a sports coach? I think I've changed a lot over the years of coaching, particularly here. It would be interesting to have sort of had my career in England and see if it would be the same or not. Um, today's generation is very different, much more needy, um, particularly here. You know, a lot of the players are coming from everybody's won a trophy growing up. Nobody is second best. Everybody's the best. Um People take feedback very critically and it's hard for them to sort of uh, sometimes not take it personally. And so I'm a lot more relaxed now in how I approach things. I don't 
need to put people on the end line and run them to death. Um, I operate from the philosophy that if you're playing here, you're playing because you're choosing to. It's a, a joy and a privilege to play. I'm not running a boot camp. It's not punishment. And so I've never trained people um, to punish. And if we lose a game, you know, you've got coaches who you lose a game and the team is scared to death. They're going to have to run sprints the next day. And my philosophy and mentality is nobody ever starts a game trying to lose it. So I come from the, everybody's on the field trying to do the same thing, which is to win. And if we don't win, then we've got to look, look at why we didn't and break it down. And I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm an educator. Um, and I make that distinction. So the challenge is trying to, you know, be able to push everybody's buttons in a way that people are going to be receptive to learning. Just relating to that philosophy within each season, how important is player management? I think it is the most number one. I've just had all my player meetings last week, 23 players, and you, we sort of asked them a series of questions. Um, each player had to answer what could they, what do they think they could improve on? What are they going to do to initiate that improvement? And what impact did they have on the team? What impact do they want to have in the off season and then moving forward to next year? And so allowing people to be very much part of this whole process. Um, I realize now people don't sabotage their own projects and it's my job to try to create a culture, an atmosphere, and an environment that players feel comfortable and safe to feel like they are part of a greater project. And I'm the one managing it. I'm not just running it on my own. Otherwise, I would end the season on my own. So realizing that every single voice, there's very, very different needs there. And somehow we're making a big we're making a huge casserole and there's going to be lots of different ingredients and for it to taste really good, each person represents a different part of that casserole, to be honest with you. I love the example and I, I really like that strategy as well. Relating to that strategy, what have you learned from this season looking forward to next season, for example? Yeah, I mean, we had, we've had we had an absolutely amazing season this year and um, it was one that I didn't expect. Um, we were short a goalkeeper and I just happened to come across a young woman who had played in high school but wasn't recruited by me. And so uh, I had an incoming player that I'd recruited. Um, my The young woman I found on campus turned out to be much, much better than I had anticipated. And so she actually won the starting position, which was, which was terrific. And then I had, um, you know, I've got two forwards are just unbelievable and one of them is up for national player of the year right now she can score goals she's got a nose for the goal she goes hard um she sets the tone with other players to really have that same work ethic and dedication and then really hard on our corners this year so sort of set pieces at corners we've scored more goals off corners than i think i have in my entire coaching career and it was one of those things with a very young team. They just started to buy in and we started to win a few games. And you saw this, you saw them beginning to really believe that they could do this. And the national finals were yesterday watching both of those teams. We could play with either of them. And, and it's really nice to have that 
sort of that excitement, that frustration, and now you just want to start right now because, you know, it's so we were playing last weekend and they already want to be playing now because there's such a, a buzz around it and now you've got to be able to replicate the same thing next year. Sounds like your team's already got great cohesion for next year, as you just sort of mentioned. I can hear it through the mic with your enthusiasm. Just touching back with your career journey, what do you enjoy the most from the work you do looking back now? I always say this, and it is definitely somewhat cliche, tongue-in-cheek, but uh, when I was teaching in England, I would play either club on Saturday and county on Sunday, and when that clock was hitting four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, the Sunday night syndrome of, oh, I've got to go back to school tomorrow. Um, I can honestly say when you do this work, collegiate coaching here, most weekends you're working Saturdays and Sundays, but I have never had Saturday night syndrome in the 30 years of coaching. Um, I feel I've been really fortunate that I have a vocation. I, I don't have a job. Um, there are parts of this that are a job. However, I control my own schedule. Um, I don't have to punch a clock. Nobody's checking to see that I'm here. But then on the, the counter of that is you're always checking your phone and checking emails and being available to your players. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where 24-7 you're available because you don't feel like you're working. And so I feel fortunate to have had that journey. That sounds really interesting, especially you don't think of it as a job, which I think is really important in coaching. It's just natural enjoyment and I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question what advice would you give to university or college sports students who want to pursue a career in coaching yeah and I think you know I've had a very dear friend of mine who I went to college with her daughter has been corresponding with me now and very interested in the system over here um you know the challenges you know the challenges of the U.S. system are one, I've had a career. I've had a, you know, I've had a, a really amazing opportunity to be here. I've maybe had to give up some, you know, my own playing, but I've had other opportunities to pursue other activities. Um, the tough thing about the U.S. is you really have to be here to get your foot in the door, and so trying from afar to secure some of these internships and grad assistant positions. I arrived here. I didn't have a place, made some connections. I worked a load of camps and in anything in life, it's the people you know that will provide you the opportunities. And so networking and actual face-to-face -face contacts are so much more important than you send an email and ask for an opportunity. It's just, you're one of many, but people have to come here. They have to be willing to, you know, not make much money initially, but you will get work once you get to know people. And so anything you do, whether it's in the UK or it's here, willing to knock on a door, work for nothing, carry the balls, put the water bottles away, wash dishes, do, do anything just to get your foot in the door and make contact with people is the most important thing. And that is great. And I really do hope the listeners take that on board. Out of interest, how can people interact with you? My email is great, so ann.parmenter at trinitycollege.edu. Um, I'm happy to answer anybody's emails, help people out, make connections. There's, a, there's lots of Brits coaching out here. Uh, coming in the summer and you know working summer camps, 
I know the legality of working is sometimes the issue, but oftentimes camps will pay people's expenses um, and they'll find a way to slip them some cash at the end of uh, their coaching time. But um, coming over and just lining up some work and it's amazing. The hockey community is really tight. So people are always helping each other out, but I'd be happy to, to help people. And that is great. To all the listeners listening in, all of Anne's contact details will be on my website relating to this blog post. And it's been great chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Now, I really do hope you enjoyed that as much as I did, because the one area I found really fascinating with regards to having the right attitude and being a sports coach is Anne's philosophy. The section when she spoke about how she had 23 meetings with her players individually So she was self-evaluating their performance, but also building new goals for them to achieve for the future, which will have a positive impact, hopefully, for the current season ahead. I feel that's a factor that a lot of coaches forget with regards to measuring their players with their performance, which having each player evaluated will have a positive impact with the overall team success. But most of all, if you feel like you want to be a sports coach and you want to give it a go or you want to build your experience in this area in sports, get involved. Look at your local neighbourhoods and see where you can provide value for those sports camps during the summer. Because you've got to do something free to really see if you enjoy it with regards to pursuing it as a career. So all I say is get involved and have a go. Now, as always, at the end of each interview, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Anne said, in anything in life, it's the people you know that will provide you the opportunities. So networking and face-to-face contact is so important if you want to get your foot in the door to be able to work in sport.